Psalm 32, verses 1 through 7. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Lord be with you. Let's pray. O Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. Guide the people of your church that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Old Testament reading from Genesis in the third chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves for the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. 
He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading from the letter to the Romans in the fifth chapter. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, The many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel. From Matthew's gospel in the fourth chapter. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, you've gathered us once again around your word to receive your gifts. We pray you work by your spirit. Remove distractions from our hearts and minds and let us rest in the promises that you have given us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. This Lenten season, as we begin in this first Sunday in Lent, we're going to see a series of encounters with Jesus as we walk through the gospel text. And we will see many of them from Jesus encountering Nicodemus to other folks throughout the region of the Israelites. And today we have a very interesting one as we see Jesus' encounters with the devil. And this moment in time that's accounted for in Matthew is such an amazing and thought-provoking moment. See, Jesus has just come from his baptism, right? And so out of the waters of baptism, as he comes up out of those waters, the Holy Spirit descends as like a dove, and this voice from heaven proclaims from the clouds, this is my beloved Son. And as Jesus comes up out of those waters, you can just imagine grabbing a towel, drying off. But then we get this peculiar verse. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Catch that? Led by the Spirit. Makes you think of the verses or the uh, petition in the Lord's Prayer, right? Lord, lead me not into temptation. Don't lead me into a wilderness, a place of temptation out by myself where that is going to happen because I'm not going to be able to handle it the same way that Jesus handled it. And that time out in the wilderness, alone with your thoughts, I don't know if you've ever been in a moment like that, but being alone with your thoughts for too long can be a scary place. And there's no connection around, no people there with you. Every now and then it's all right. You can kind of gather things and get some clarity. But if time goes on for too long, sometimes our thoughts start to wander into places they shouldn't. And whether it's been a long drive through the desert at night or sitting uh, by yourself somewhere when all the family is gone, whatever the case may be, whether it's hours or days or weeks, that feeling of being alone, with only the thoughts in your mind, can go into interesting places. And it's something to think on. Uh, there's a recent study over the past years, in fact, if you look over all of the years, on average, about half of all Americans say they experience loneliness. Not just being alone. It's fine to live alone. It's fine to be alone in times and places. But to then have that as a description of who you are. I am lonely. I experience loneliness. All of a sudden it becomes an adjective for your person rather than just a time and place of who you are by yourself. 
But this feeling of loneliness, disconnectedness, not having anybody around to speak into your life, feeling like everything is upon your own shoulders. You can kind of imagine that's about what 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting would be like. And remember through Matthew's gospel, Jesus is re uh, I can't think of the right words, re-stepping and following the footsteps, uh, retracing the footsteps of the Israelites as they had wandered from Israel, or excuse me, from Egypt to Mount Sinai and from Mount Sinai to the promised land. And then for 40 years from the promised land all about throughout the wilderness back to the promised land. They had to wander so long because of disbelief, because of distrust, because of all the ways in which they turned a heart away from God's word. So here Jesus is walking in those same footsteps. 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, fasting. Led up by the Spirit for a purpose. To be tempted by the devil. We start trying to wrap our heads around that. What does that mean? Wouldn't it be easy for Jesus to handle temptation? I mean, he's the son of God. Of course he is. He's the son of God, absolutely, 100% God. Except he's also 100% man. And we know this because as he had been out there for 40 days and 40 nights, we get that beautiful little collection of three words. He was hungry. God doesn't hunger. Man hungers. He experienced the suffering of what it is to not have enough to be in a place where you need something from somebody else, to have somebody who needs to step into your life to give you of something you don't have. Jesus experienced that. He's walked that road. You've likely walked that road. Walking into places where you don't have enough, whether it's physically or emotionally, sometimes even spiritually, feeling disconnected from everything, and that you can't work it out on your own. You need somebody else to step in to bring something into your life so you would have enough of whatever it is. So as Jesus sat there and he was hungry, after 40 days and 40 nights, the devil makes his move. See, a lot of times we read this account and we think right off that first day, he's battling him for 40 days, 40 nights. No, the devil's wiser than that not going to start it off when Jesus is strong. He's going to start it off when Jesus is weak, hungry, desiring of something, wanting to be done with the fasting, wanting to be done with the suffering, wanting to go back to a regular way of life. And as Satan walks in, we then start to hear this encounter with Jesus. A quick thing about Satan, interesting stuff that's kind of neat. Satan and the devil are the two names that we get from him in this one account, right? We hear Matthew referring to him as the devil. We hear Jesus referring to him as Satan. And that wasn't his name to begin with. It was Lucifer, this angel created by God, part of the creation of things, part of the angelic realm. And then he fell, and after that, you rarely ever hear him called by that name anymore. You hear him called by the things he does by the actions he takes. See, the Hebrew name, Satan, means the accuser. The one who lifts up sins in front of people and lifts up, uh, for us anyway, the sins in front of us and accuses us of those sins. 
people will take God's word and put it right in front of us and say, see, you don't live up to it. When to accuse us. In the Greek, you get diablos, devil. It means slanderer. One who's going to misappropriate a name. The one who's going to twist words around. All these things are the things that Satan, the devil, does. And he does them right away in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve as he points them to a bit of doubt. Did God really say you couldn't eat from the trees? See, the devil doesn't have any new tactics, not at all. Walks into the wilderness 40 days after Jesus starts fasting, and he looks at Jesus, and he says, if you are the Son of God, you remember what the words were at the baptism? This is my beloved Son. So Satan throws that back at him. Well, if you are the Son of God, take care of your hunger, man. I know you're hungry. Turn those stones into bread. I know who you are. I saw you up in heaven. I know exactly who you are. You can do that. Such a simple, easy thing. You don't have to sit here and be hungry. Take care of it yourself. Take things into your own hands. Be your own provider. Don't worry about waiting for anybody else or trusting somebody else's word. Do this on your own, man. You are hurting and hungry. Fill your need. Just do it. You be you. Take care of it. And any of us, after 40 days, if we had that power to turn, turn stones into bread, man, we might give a second thought to that, right? And say, you know, that's not a bad idea. I could do with some sourdough and a little ham right now. That'd be all right. Well, he wouldn't do ham. But that would be really good, right? But Jesus standing there. On our behalf, in our place where we would have failed, he begins his battle. Starts with a little jab, right? Written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God, every promise that he makes, everything that he sets up, everything that he puts into place and in order is true and going to happen. And when he says stuff needs to be done, it's going to be done. And when he says he's going to do stuff, he's going to do stuff. So no, I'm not going to turn a stone into a piece of bread to eat because that's such a short-term thing. My father said everything's going to work out the way that he said it's going to work out. All right. He takes Jesus up out of the wilderness in the blink of an eye, up above Jerusalem to the pinnacle of the temple, this high place. Just throw yourself down. For it's written... He will bear you up. He'll take care of you. He's not going to let you fall. And Satan is quoting Psalm 91 verbatim, words right out of Scripture, things that Jesus would have known by heart, not only because he's the Son of God, but because he was a good Jewish boy raised in Hebrew school and in the synagogues and would have known these psalms. And as Satan quotes Psalm 91, he's saying, look, it says right there in the Word of God that He's not going to let you fall, even if you stumble over a little stone. Cast yourself off of here. This is way bigger than falling off a stone. If your God's that big and if you are the Son of God, then trust him to take care of you, just like he says he will. Again, Jesus says, yeah. But it also says, don't test the Lord your God. Because the whole context of that psalm 
is all about being in the middle of something tragic and God acting first to care, not throwing yourself into something tragic to see what God does. So Jesus says, no, that's not it. You're reading that wrong, man. That's not how that psalm is understood. So he takes him up, up onto a high mountain, puts Jesus up on this high mountain overlooking all of the wonders of the world. And Satan says, you see all that, all those kingdoms, all the glory of those kingdoms? It's mine to give, which you have to laugh at a little bit, considering the fact that Jesus was there at creation and Satan wasn't. And to have this being look at him and say, man, this is all mine. I'll hand it over to you. Not sure he was called the prince of the air and the prince of all this broken stuff that we see. And in his mind, I'm sure he thought, yeah, this is all the mine to give. And in the moments of looking over all the glory of the kingdoms, you have to imagine as well all the other things going on in the midst of those kingdoms. All the brokenness, the things that you see every day, all the corruption of stuff, all the stuff in which ways that are happening that should not happen in a good order. And Satan's looking at Jesus saying, look, this can all be yours. You can fix it now if you are the son of God. Take care of things. Take matters into your own hands. Fix it now so that people's suffering and troubles are done and over with. You can do that. In a snap of a finger, you can make all things right in every kingdom on earth so that everybody gets along and there's peace on earth. You can make that happen in a moment. Can you imagine that temptation? As this man and God... Jesus stands there and says, wait a minute. You know, I could do all that without going to the cross. Because that's the point. Satan's trying to turn Jesus away from the mission of God. He's trying to turn him away from what he's supposed to be obedient to. He's trying to turn him away from what the Father would have the Son do, to die in your place. So the beginning of that battle right there in the wilderness as Jesus fights for you. Because if Jesus bowed down to Satan in that moment and worshipped him, we all lost. Because in that moment, Jesus would have given up everything necessary to die in our place and take the judgment of God upon his shoulders. He would have looked at every single one of us, made everything right in that moment, and yet sin would not have been defeated, death would not have been defeated, and your sins would still weigh upon your soul. Yet they don't, because Jesus is victorious over Satan, over death, over all of those things that would rip us away from God and tear us away from God. He died for you. And in those moments where Satan is trying to turn Jesus' eyes away from the proclamation of God that where he said, this is my beloved son, his tactic hasn't changed at all. In those dark places where you may feel alone on the long drives or in the lonely times where Satan's word starts to whisper into your ears, if you are the child of God, why does your life look the way it does? Why do you hurt the way you do? Why do your loved ones get sick the way they do? Why do the people that you love die? Why do you not have enough money? Why do you not have kids who are where you want them to be doing what you want them to do? Are you really the child of God? hear the same lies 
same slandering, the same accusations. In those moments, you can say, yes, I am. Because I'm baptized into Jesus' name. His name was put upon me, and in that baptism, I was given his righteousness. I was given his sonship. I was given his name. So yes, I am a child of God in the same way that, Je that Jesus was called the child of God in his baptism, so are you. Baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus' victory over Satan in the wilderness is your victory. Jesus' victory over death in the tomb is your victory. His life in the resurrection is your life. All of those things are yours, and Satan can't take them from you at all. Not one bit. The promises made by God, declarations of what is true. So when we hear those temptations come into our ears, yes, we're going to fail at them at times. But Jesus didn't. And he succeeded and was victorious for you so that you would have life in him. Amen. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life that you have given us in Jesus, that in the battles where we are weak, he was strong, and his victory is ours. We know we can't replicate that all the time. Not by any means. By your spirit, you give us courage. You give us the strength at times to do so. And we thank you for working in that way. Yet in our lonely times and in our failings, let us rest in the promise that you have given us that we are yours in our baptism in Christ and that all that he has is ours. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.